All right, all right. You guys can go ahead and find a seat, find a seat. Wow. I can't believe we are here. The Salt Company kickoff 2022. Am I right, Ben? It was just a year ago. We had our first kickoff ever right here in this building. This is just year two. I'm excited for year three. Um, again, if we haven't met, maybe you got here late. My name is Timmy. I am the director here at Salt Company. Super glad that you guys are here tonight. I just want to take a second to introduce myself. Uh, I'm born and raised Louisiana. Anybody ever been to Louisiana? Daniel has. Um, yes, way down south. That's right, crawfish. I hear that. Born and raised Louisiana. I'm 27 years old, turned 27 last month. I am married to a beautiful girl named Lindsay Lopez. She is somewhere here in this. There she is in the back. Girls, if you haven't met Lindsay, she's the best, the better half for sure. Uh, I was, we've been married over five years now. I was talking to one of our neighbors that we met last night, like in our neighborhood or whatever. And she was like, everybody in the South gets married so young. Like we were, we were 21 years old. And I was like, yeah, we were, we were young, dumb, and broke. Now we're a little less young, a little less dumb, a little less broke, but we're making it. Uh, we moved here one year ago to help start the Salt Company and Mercy Hill Church. And I wanna tell you a little problem that we ran into last year. So who, raise your hand if you were here when the cicadas hit Cincinnati. You know what I'm talking about? So who doesn't know what I'm talking about, cicadas? When I, wow, okay, let me inform you. Let me inform you real quick, Des. All right, we're about to inform Des. You ready for this? Okay, so this is like straight out of a horror film. Okay, I couldn't believe it, but they said whenever you move to Cincinnati, the cicadas are coming. I'm like, what? Every 17 years in Cincinnati in the Midwest area, okay, I don't know what you're, I'm from the South, all right? But the trillions of cicadas come out of the ground and they start flying around everywhere, everywhere. And it's disgusting. And they fly around for like a month and they like die after a week or so. Like, and then the whole process is like a month long and then it smells horrible because there's a bunch of dead cicadas everywhere. Okay, it's wild. Well, let me show you a picture of, of my backyard really quick. I took this this morning. Okay, this is Tim's backyard, Lindsay's backyard. We got, we got a lot going on there. But you see that deck right there? That right there, um, that happens to be like the biggest cicada magnet that ever existed. So go to the next picture really quick. Okay, you see all those things? Those are cicadas, okay? So every day, whenever it was like cicada month, all right, uh, I would look out my window and there would be thousands of these things there. So I did what every natural, you know, homeowner would do here. Go to the next, I think I have a video. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and my, if you turn it up, my wife's laughing at me because they're like flying at me and I kind of spaz. Who knew when you took this, Lindsay, we'd be playing this at Soul Company. Okay, all right. All right, enough of the video. But do you see what I did? I blew off a thousand cic cicadas off my deck into the ground, okay? I'm thinking, I'm fixing my problem that I have here. Well, the next day, the deck would be the exact same. And I'm just doing this for like a week long, thinking that, okay, this problem's annoying, but I can fix it, all right? Time goes by, I'm looking out. Okay, is it time for me to grab the leaf blower again? and I see a squirrel-sized rat, okay? If you don't know what a squirrel-sized rat is, a squirrel-sized rat is a rat that is the size of a squirrel. And there is one on my deck, and it is eating this cicada. And I'm like, 
Oh man, that's worse than cicadas. <laughs> I don't like rats, okay? Kudos to like Pixar for making one of the most disgusting animals in the whole world, like pleasant. Like any Remy the, Remy the Rat fans? He's the man. He's actually a rat, but yeah, Remy's, Remy's a dog, not a dog, he's a rat. And they made that animal cute, okay? But they're disgusting. So I go to Home Depot. I'm like, I'll fix this problem. I get uh, like a little $10 rat bait. I'm like, okay, I'll take him out. He'll be done, no problem. And I'll keep blowing off my cicadas. Well then go back to that first picture. Oh, it's already there. Okay, you see that little contraption on the right? I call that cicada haven, okay? The reason why that's cicada haven is because it's screened in. And so when Lindsay and I wanted some fresh air, we would go out and we'd make a dash for Cicada Haven and the cicadas couldn't get in there. Well, one day we needed some fresh air. We're having some lunch. All the cicadas are buzzing around. It's super loud. And then I look and I see the biggest problem, okay? And I can't believe my eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lindsay, look. And underneath my deck right there where I had been blowing off millions of cicadas, okay, at this point, it's millions of dead cicadas, there are nine monster rats just <laughs> feasting on these cicadas, okay? And it was then, uh, and the first thing I could think to do was just go on my deck and go like this. And then they just went and they like went into holes in the ground. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So I, I called the professional exterminator, all right? And then he starts telling me how quickly these rats can breed. They're like rabbits. And then he tells me the worst news of all, which is that, hey, you're probably okay right now, but as it gets cold, they'll go to what is warm. Well, you know what's warm? A house. And I'm from Louisiana, which is always hot there, but I'm like, it's about to be cold here in a week. Like, like I'm toast. And so hundreds of dollars later, long story short, several exterminator visits from the professional, no more rats, and the problem was over. But I share all of this, all right, because I want you guys to see that I had a cicada problem. And I tried to fix it, but I really had no idea how bad my problem actually was. Turns out I had a rat infestation. Thankfully, they never got in the house. But let me ask you a question right now. What is your problem? What is the problem that's on your mind right now? Where are you seeing signs of cicadas in your life? All of us are facing real problems, every single one of us. But what I want us to see tonight is this, that no matter what problem it is that you're facing, no matter how painful it is, no matter how much heartache it is causing your life, and it's a real problem, there is in fact a greater problem that all of us face that some of us may not even be aware of. Tonight we're going to look at a story of a man who had a problem, and this man went to Jesus, and he came to Jesus knowing, knowing that he had a cicada problem, if you will, but he had no idea about the rat infestation that he had. He wasn't even aware of it. So my hope for us tonight is that no matter what problem it is that you have right now in your life, no matter how much confusion it's cost, how much pain it's cost, that Jesus is gonna show us tonight that there is a much greater problem that we face that we may not even be aware of. So if you have a Bible with you, which I hope you do, if not, there should be one on the floor. I think we have a blue one. We're gonna be in Mark chapter two. And look, if you don't own a Bible, that blue one on the floor, that is our gift to you. And just a little spoiler, every week here at Salt Committee, we open up God's word and we ask, who is Jesus? And we look at how this applies to our life. So we're gonna do that tonight. And if you're in that blue Bible, uh, it's gonna be page 488, I believe. And if I'm wrong on that, 
It's, it's New Testament. If you're in the Blue Bible, 488, second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, I think it's on the screen behind me. We'll see. And when he, all right, that he is Jesus. So when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So here's the setting of, of what's happening here. It's important when we read the Bible to understand the context first. So Jesus is in this town called Capernaum and he's in this house and there are tons of people there. I mean, it is packed, crowded. There is no room at the door, it says. It's just packed out and they're all listening to him as he's preaching. Let's keep going. Look at verse three. It says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So again, here's the scene, guys. Jesus, he, he's teaching at a house. And we'll find out in a little bit that the religious leaders of the time, they're there, these, these people called the scribes. And it's packed out, like no room at all. And then comes this group of four guys holding this paralyzed man on this mat. And they're carrying him, trying to get him to Jesus, but there is no possible way to get him anywhere near him. And all of a sudden, this, this desperation begins to set in. And his heart starts racing, just knowing, I am so close to this thing that I want. But thinking that, man, am I going to lose my chance here? Am I going to miss it? Just consider this paralyzed man's life for a second. First, he had never walked before. Like, I can't even imagine that. What it would be like to never walk. Think of as a toddler, right? Every day, hearing his dad and his mom say, come to mommy, come to daddy. His parents always believing this is going to be the day our kid takes his first step. Months go by. The hard truth begins to set in, and our kid has paralysis. He'll probably never be able to take a step. As a five-year-old, this kid grows up, sitting on his mat, watching all the other kids get to play at recess. All the other kids get to run and jump and laugh. And there he is sitting on his mat, unable to participate in what they're doing. And I'm sure there's probably times where he'd sit on his mat, maybe a friend would come, sit next to him, but they would always get up and leave. And he'd never be able to do that. Then, as the other guys his age would begin to start apprenticeships with their dad, learning how to do masonry or carpentry, how to be a fisherman. Time goes on, not him. He'd be the first in his family not to pick up the family business, not to pick up the trade. At this time in history, guys, if you were paralyzed, often you became an outcast. The only thing left for you to do was go on the street and just be a beggar. Was go on the street and ask people for money and for food hoping someone would come by and be compassionate. It's easy to look at a story like this in our Bible and just think, oh, this is just some made up story. Guys, this is a real person who actually existed, who for two decades at least spent his life on a mat, looking at the world, wondering if he'd ever be noticed, wondering if he'd ever be able to be like everyone else, always having to miss out. But then word came of this healer this man named Jesus of Nazareth who would go from town to town and he was healing people. Like he actually cared about people. 
He had heard stories that had circled of Jesus restoring sight to those who were blind, people who had skin diseases, being healed of them. Maybe this Jesus, maybe he could help me. Maybe he could fix my leg problem. Maybe he would even be able to make me walk again. Then the news came that he's in Capernaum. He's here in my town. He's finally here. And he asked his friends, will you take me to this Jesus? Will you take me to him? And his friends agree. And just imagine the anticipation this guy must have felt as his friends are carrying him to the house that Jesus is at. They approach the house and they know that's the house because it's crowded. Everybody's there listening to Jesus, but there is no room to get in. There's no room. No one's making a way. It is completely packed. And so what do his friends do? They're desperate to get their friend to Jesus. So they somehow get him up on the roof. Maybe they had stairs back then, I don't know, but they got this guy on the roof, which must've been crazy for the dude on the mat, just hanging on for his dear life. As his friends bring him up the roof, they set him down and he begins to watch his friends as they claw at this roof and dig at this roof, desperate to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Let me ask you guys, what is the problem you've lived with for decades? What's the problem in your life that you would crawl, claw, and dig through a roof in order to fix? What's your mat? Maybe it's your parents' broken marriage, the marriage that you feel stuck in the middle of. Maybe it's that you were abused when you were younger and you feel like it's your fault and it's caused a lot of pain in your life. Maybe it's a health problem that you currently have. Maybe it's something you did this last summer that you're incredibly ashamed of and you feel like you can never forgive yourself for. Ask yourself, what is the problem in my life that I dig through a roof for? Maybe it's the death of a family member or the loss of an unexpected loved one in your life. Maybe it's a pornography addiction that you feel like you can't shake that's caused a lot of pain in your life. Is it your insecurity? Is it a body image issue? Is it a mental health issue? Maybe those aren't it for you. Perhaps you're like, Tim, if I'm honest, just starting off here at Xavier, you see, I just want friends. I just want community. Maybe you just started off here and you looked at the first time at your student loans last night. And you're like, that's just one semester. <laughs> Maybe you did the old random roommate thing. Turns out your roommate's a lot more messy than you. Now it's a little awkward because they're sitting next to you right now. Maybe you're a senior, you're about to graduate, and you're wondering, what am I going to do with my life? What is your problem? Let's look back at the story, verse 4. It says, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Think of what this guy must have been thinking in this moment. As he's being lowered towards Jesus, all this pain in his life, always being different, never being able to walk. My greatest problem, all about to be erased. I'm in front of Jesus. Verse five, it says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus sees the faith of this man and the faith of his friends. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you, but that seemed a little unexpected to me. 
You look at how Mark writes this story and is laying it out for us and what happened. It's like, we all think Jesus is about to heal this person. Like, packed house, check. Crazy entry, right? Blew a hole in the roof, check. Religious leaders are there, check. Paralyzed man. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven? I don't know what the guy must have thought. He's like, uh, yeah, thanks, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. But um, can't you see why I'm here? Like, me leggies no worky, okay? Appreciate you forgiving my sins and all, but that's not my, that's not my actual problem. I'm paralyzed. I can't walk. So what's happening here? Why does Jesus forgive him of his sins? Like this whole story seems to be set up for Jesus to heal this man of his paralysis, right? Well, what Jesus is showing us in this moment, and he's showing this man in this moment, is that though he has a problem, and though we all have problems, every one of us, that we dig through a roof for in order to have them fixed, as big and as real as those problems are, and as much pain as they've caused in our life, they are not our biggest problem. What Jesus is showing this man is that his biggest problem is not his physical paralysis, but his spiritual paralysis. His biggest problem in life is not that his legs don't work, but that his heart is broken. So two questions that we need to ask here. How could this possibly be this man's biggest problem? And how could this be my biggest problem right now? Well, Saul Company, there is a God, a perfect, holy, eternal God who created the world and everything in it. And he did this out of the overflow of his love and his goodness. And the reason that you were created and that I was created was to be in a perfect, loving relationship with God and glorify him forever. That's what our purpose is, to be in relationship with God. But the Bible teaches that man has rejected that relationship. And this rejection is called sin. Ever since Adam and Eve, the first humans, rejected God and sinned against God in the garden, it has created a divide between God and humanity. Because God is holy and perfect, we need to be perfect in order to be in right standing with this God. But here's what God's word says. In Romans 6, 23, it says that the wages of sin is death. Not only are we not in right standing with God, but we stand condemned and guilty before God because of our sin. Like what, like a wage is what do you earn from something. What our sins earn us is death. And not just a physical death. Yes, 100% of us are going to die. That, that, that happens. All of us are going to die one day. But Hebrews tells us that we're going to stand before God one day when we die. And after this comes judgment. 9.27 of Hebrews says, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after this comes judgment. We are, every single one of us, guys, going to die one day and we're going to stand before God and be judged. And the picture doesn't look good for us because none of us are perfect. We've all done things that we're ashamed of. We've all done things to hurt one another. But first and most importantly, guys, we have all sinned against God. And to sin against an eternal holy God brings on massive consequences, ones that we can't pay to fix. So Jesus here actually speaks to this man's greatest need, which is forgiveness of his sins. But there's a problem here, and the people in the story pick it up very quickly. Look at verse 6. It says, now some of the scribes who were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, says, why does this man speak like that? 
He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? As only God can forgive sins that are committed against him. Like the scribes, often as you read the New Testament, like these religious leaders, they're kind of buttheads and you'll find out that often they're wrong. But in this moment, they're actually right. Only God can forgive sins. Imagine, if you will, Dylan, who was just up here earlier, came to my house tonight, stole my car, all right, and went and wrecked it. And then Hayden, who was also next to Dylan earlier, goes to Dylan and says, hey, Dylan, I forgive you. I would be like, Hayden, what the heck are you doing right now? Like, you can't forgive Dylan for that. Like, he, he committed an offense against me. It's not your place to offer him forgiveness. The scribes here are actually right that only God can forgive sins. A human can't offer another human forgiveness of sins that were committed against God. Only God can forgive sins. But look at how Jesus responds in verse eight. It says, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So what just happened? Jesus perceives in his spirit the question they're asking. This problem, how can Jesus offer forgiveness of sins? Only God can do that. And then Jesus immediately heals the person, proving that he does have the authority to forgive sins. And by healing this man of his physical paralysis, Jesus actually proves that he is the son of God, and it's incredible. And look at how the people respond. They respond rightly glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. For decades, they saw this guy in their town, sitting on his mat, paralyzed, never able to move, all of a sudden get up and leap and pick up the thing that used to define him and walk away. It's amazing. But there's one last problem in all of this. Notice how Jesus asked that question in verse 9. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Okay, think about that. It's not a trick question. Both those things are actually easy to say. Any one of us could say that, right? Anybody could say, your sins are forgiven, or they could say, Des, rise and walk. Okay, you could, don't do it. Um, here's what the people in the story didn't understand and grasp at the time. In order for this man to be forgiven of his sins, and really in order for you and I to be forgiven of our sins, well, that was going to be far, far, far more difficult than healing this man of his paralysis. Let me explain. Think back to Dylan stealing my car, all right? I kind of have two options there. If he steals my car and destroys it, I can, one, make Dylan buy me a new one, either through pressing charges and make him pay the price of it, or I can say, Dylan, I forgive you, and don't worry about it. But if I do option number two and I forgive Dylan, I have to pay the price. I no longer have a car and I have to pay to buy a new one. 
I'd be out of a car. So here's the last problem I want to see. How can Jesus look at this man who is sinful and broken, who has sinned against a holy, eternal God? How can he look at this man and say he's forgiven? And really, how can Jesus look at us and forgive us of our sins when we have sinned so greatly against a God? The only way Jesus can do this, guys, the only way he can say that this man's forgiven and the only way he can forgive of us of our sins is if he takes the punishment himself, is if he pays the price himself. Praise God, he did. You see, our greatest need in life, Saul Company, your biggest problem in life is that you need peace with God. This life is so short. Our souls are going to endure forever. And we're going to stand before God one day. And in order for us to be acceptable before God, we need perfection. Well, none of us have that in and of ourselves. We've all sinned greatly against a God. We've all done things we wish no one ever found out, but God sees them and he knows them. And because God is holy and just, he can't just brush it under the rug as if it's no big deal. The sin against a holy, perfect God brings on huge consequences. And so you may try your whole life trying to be a good enough person, trying to do good things so that God will accept you, but you can't do anything. You need perfection. None of us have it you'd be wasting your time. But here's the good news of the gospel, is that God looked at his son, Jesus, the only one who could do anything about our sin problem, and he said, go. Live the life that Tim was required to live, a perfect, holy life. Live the life that you were required to live, a perfect, holy life, and that this paralyzed man was required to live, a perfect life. And Jesus went and lived a perfect life here on earth. He took on flesh. He left the glories of heaven, became a man, He loved God perfectly with everything that he had. But even more so, guys, on the cross, our sins, past, present, and future, this paralyzed man's sins, past, present, and future, were laid upon Jesus, and he bore them. And God treated Jesus as if he lived your life and as if he lived my life, executing perfect justice while at the same time offering us mercy and forgiveness. And praise God, that he rose Jesus from the grave three days later and Jesus walked out the tomb victorious. It's the best news in the whole world because now all of those who recognize that they're spiritually paralyzed, that they can't do it on their own, that they're broken and they look to Jesus, the true healer, the only one who can forgive them of their sins and trust in him, God promises to give eternal life. God promises to make them a son or daughter, him. Invite them into the family of God. No longer guilty, but justified. No longer a sinner, but under grace. That is the good news of the gospel. And that is what Jesus offers you now tonight. Most of us here, guys, I don't think any of us here are physically paralyzed. But every single one of us, at least at a time, and maybe still right now, suffer from a spiritual paralysis from our sin. Nothing paralyzes people more than sin and guilt that has not been forgiven. It's all coming. There is only one cure for our guilt, and that's forgiveness. And Jesus is the only one who can offer forgiveness. That's why he came. There's no special prayer you can pray. 
No amount of going to salt company or going to church that you can do. Jesus paid it all on the cross. Here's how God words it in Ephesians 2. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is all of grace. That's what Jesus offers you now, tonight. Will you trust in him? Let's pray. Father, every single one of us here is broken apart from you. None of us have it together. As much as we may pretend or try to perform, we can't do anything to please you, Lord. We need a Savior. God, we thank you that when we were running and rebelling to you, living our life for ourselves or for things that would never satisfy us, you came after us. You sent your son to die for us so that we could have hope and we could have life. So many people, Lord, need to hear this news. For those in this room, Lord, who are Christians, who have trusted in you, who you have saved, Lord, I pray that the gospel, the good news of what you've done to bring us out of darkness into light would compel us to share with others, that we wouldn't keep this hope and this treasure and this message with ourselves, but we would bring it to our campuses. Because people need you. And there is life in no other name but Jesus. So we praise you, God, for making a way. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve your grace. We thank you that you love us, Lord, not because we're lovable, but because of who you are, because you are a loving, good, and gracious God. I praise you, in Jesus' name.